God. We have just had a great time with Pastor Evangelist Tony Chase. I've gotten a fellowship with him, and uh, he'll be starting a church in just a few uh, weeks here in, uh, in uh, pioneering in uh, Fort Smith, uh, Arkansas. He's living in Oklahoma, which is like they're right there, right on the line. And so uh, just, uh, just to hear what God is, the excitement he has for pioneering, the thrill of it. Uh, and so I, our brother has the heart uh, for the things of God. We've been blessed. Let's welcome him as he comes. The pastor evangelist, Tony Chase. Hallelujah. God bless you. Glory. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. If you can't feel the presence of God in here tonight, you might as well go shop at Walmart. Oh, my days. Exodus chapter three. Let's dive into the word of God tonight. Dive in to the word of God. Such a privilege to be here. Such an honor to minister the word of God anywhere. Such an honor to be called a child of God. Folks, all of hell can be going on around us. All kinds of junk can be happening. But I'm telling you, 30 years ago, eternity stepped into my time and changed my trajectory. And nothing can change that. I'm telling you, I feel heaven in this place and I love it. Just the reminder of God's presence. One day, everything is going to get swallowed up. There's people in here tonight. You need to understand that one day, everything is going to get swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter number three. I ain't preaching on that. We wiggled the, the, the needle early on in this revival and, uh, we stick where we're getting blood. That's how I roll. I was sharing with your pastor. God has caused me to recognize as an evangelist, I got to be a bit of a phlebotomist. I got to stick the needle in on Sunday and quickly find the vein. As soon as you find it, you stay where you're getting blood. I know what God is doing. I can feel it. So Exodus chapter three, everybody, come on, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter number three. Don't stare at me when we should be looking at our Bibles. I get real nervous when people are looking at me. (laughs) Exodus three and verse number one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law and the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire in the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. So when he, the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Life without shoes. Father, we thank you tonight, God, for the truth of your word. And I thank you, God, that Lord, you, Father God, would see fit to dwell in our presence. God, thank you, Father, tonight. For the privilege, God, of being in your presence. And I'm asking today, God, that you would anoint your word tonight. 
God, that you would arrest the attention of every man, every woman, boy, and girl. I'm praying, God, for supernatural grace to minister. Carry the word beyond my ability. Father, I pray and speak tonight with exclamation mark and let none escape. Let none escape. The questioning and the conviction and the changing of the Holy Ghost. I give you praise for all that you will do tonight in Jesus name. Come on. Say amen, everybody. Life without shoes. Let me talk to you first about where God meets man. Exodus chapter number three and verse number one, it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is a day that was no different than any other day in Moses' life. In other words, Moses was doing what Moses had been doing for 40 years. A matter of fact, another version simply states it like this. One day, while Moses was tending the flock. One day, this is one day like every other day. The idea is that he has been doing the same thing in the same place for many, many years. That this was not something new and something out of the ordinary. That in the midst of the daily affairs of this man's life, God showed up in a bush that was burning. Moses, he simply turned aside to see this incredible sight. And as soon as he turned aside, God calls to him, Moses, remove your shoes. That Moses has been right here before. He has possibly walked past that same bush right there before. He has been in the same desert. Living in the same arena. For 40 years. But today, God shows up and says, remove your shoes. Listen to me folks, the ground that was normal yesterday has become holy today. Have you ever had any of these moments right here? Have you ever had any of these type of situations right here where you are doing what you have always done, you are going where you have always gone, and then all of the sudden God shows up? I wish there was a church up in here. You guys are acting like God ain't in this place right now. Where God shows up and you are overwhelmed by his majesty. It was all I can do not to weep back here. Just simply trying to get the words out. You are holy Lord of all. And God in this place, somehow it literally moves upon us where we are overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. If you're not overwhelmed by his presence, something must be wrong with you. You got to preach this, Tony. I'm going to. Thank you, guys. Jacob, he is weary with running. 
preached on him sometime this week. He lays his head on a rock and then all of the sudden heaven opens. A ladder is dropped down. Angels of God are ascending and descending upon it. And what did he say? Oh wow. That's not what he said. He woke up and said, I did not know that God was in this place. Shook him to the core. Where he begins to speak vows and commitments, names at Bethel, Joshua, understanding he's going to have to take this city, Jericho. He's pacing back and forth and he's obviously looking over and seeing the walls and everything in Jericho, knowing he's going to have to conquer this. The Bible says he sees a man off in the distance with his sword drawn and Joshua's going to run up to this man. Hey, because Joshua's bad like that. Hey, are you for us or against us? Joshua chapter 5 and 13 through 15, the Bible says, he says to Joshua, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot. For the place where you stand is holy. Joshua's just been walking all over this place. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. He's just been walking all over here. He just walked into this place. And now all of a sudden it's holy. Why? Because God showed up. Ain't nobody here. You listen to me. Where God meets man, that ground where he meets you is holy. No matter how common it was before, it is sacred now. And people that do not understand this never frequent the altar. You like got Velcro on your rear end. You can't get up and come to the altar for nothing. Hello, somebody. Preach that preacher. You won't come to the altar for nothing. No, no, no. That's for everyone else. That's for all the peasants. You won't get out of your seat and come down and bend your knee and talk to God when you know you're convicted. Never frequent the altar. You know what happens to this type of personality? They are never changed from glory to glory. The Bible says we're to be changed from glory to glory, but they're never changed from glory to glory. The common in their life remains common. These come to church and simply leave church and they never have a divine aha moment where God steps into the mundane routine of their life's arrangement and rearranges all the fixed furniture in their life. They never have these moments. They just come to church and leave, come to church and leave, come to church and leave. Gideon, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Folks, that's not what you do. <laughs> you don't thresh wheat. Threshing wheat is a violent task. You don't do that in a wine press when you're stepping and stuff. No, no, no. He's doing this because the bands of Midianites are raiding them and making them impoverished. And because of this, they have no food. So he's hiding. He's in a, in a place um, to provide for his family where he doesn't think they're going to come. And as he's doing this violent task, God shows up um, as he's simply trying to tend um, to the duties to supply for his family. God shows up um, and ordains this man as he's literally in the violence of all that he's doing to provide for his family. He says, go in the strength of yours. God is tasking a man in his frustration 
to be a deliverer of the people who are in bondage. Zacharias doing what every priest had been doing for 400 years. No God at all. Somebody help the preacher. Every one of them going in, the Bible says they cast lots to find out who's going to do it. A lot fell upon Zacharias. Zacharias now going to go in there and tend to all the religious duties inside the holy place. And as he's inside the holy place doing what he has been doing and every other priest has been doing for 400 years and bam, God shows up. Boom, and the whole New Testament starts. Just in a moment like that, all of a sudden, everything shifts. Mm-hmm. Tony gonna preach Tony in the victory. Mary, the mother of Jesus, going through what all she's just gonna go through. And the Bible says, all of a sudden, heaven opens up, and the words are spoken over this woman. Oh, blessed art thou above all women, and all of a sudden, the deposit of the seed of God, and in comes Jesus. Paul, he traveled down those um, dusty roads um, going to Damascus hundreds of times. Hello, somebody. But this time, heaven opened. God whispers from heaven. um, And all of a sudden, what you have is a man born again in a moment moment of time. And 13 or 14 of the New Testament books are birthed. What I'm talking about is in the normal sea of everyday life, here comes God. When these moments occur, we need, we are overwhelmed by his presence. Think about John on the penal island of Patmos. Jesus comes to him. And this is in a vision. Listen to what it says. Revelation 1.10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Verse 12, and then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. On a penal island. On an island where they're breaking bricks or whatever, I don't know. But he's out. This is a place where all manner of ungodliness is being judged per se. And there he is. And God shows up on a penal island and he falls down and worship. He recognizes this ground is holy. Moses, remove your shoes. Because the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. So let me talk to you a second about why remove your shoes. Adam Clark writes in his commentary, the natives of Bengal never go into their own homes with their shoes on. Nor into the houses of others, but always leave their shoes at the door. It would be a great affront not to attend to this mark or of respect when visiting. And to enter a temple without pulling off the shoe would be an unpardonable offense. In Oriental and Asian cultures, they remove their shoes before they enter their home. They don't want the filth. They don't want the dirt and they don't want um, all the, the, the junk from the places um, that we have trod throughout the day to be brought into the very home where they live. They say in, their, in, in essence, remove your shoes because we live here. 
Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. One commentator says this passage is almost conclusive against the assumption that the place was previously a sanctuary. Moses knew nothing of its holiness after some 40 years spent in the desert. It became holy by the presence of a holy God. Come on, are y'all with me tonight? Because we're going to start running right here. How many believe God is in here? Folks, I'm telling you what. I leaned over to your pastor and said, I love it when God, he changed my sermon in the prayer room. I sent it off immediately. I knew it was God. I come out at the song, you are whole. I'm, I'm ready to lose it. God, you just walked in here. I'm telling you, I love it. How many believe God's here? Hmm. And because this, this place where you and I are right now is set apart. It is sanctified. It is holy. Not because it's got a couple crosses on the outside. Not because um, everyone knows it used to be a church. No, 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 no. There's some churches God ain't been in for a long time. Because we say God is here, this place is holy. Even though in our fellowship, our brother in Brockport, I believe, uh, our brother in Greece, um, we got a brother in Syracuse, we got, I think, in Syracuse, maybe, I can't recall. We have uh, other churches, Buffalo or wherever, you know, okay, all these, they're not in major church buildings, you know where they're at? They're in storefronts. We got churches in, 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 in Kmart buildings. We've got churches that are in, um, you know, metal warehouses that used to house motorcycles. My church in Raleigh, North Carolina, or in uh, uh, Clarksville, Tennessee, it used to be a Harley Davidson shop. We got buildings um, that are just vacant and have been all manner of things, but um, the moment we come in and invite God and God comes in, no matter what that building was, it is now set apart, it is holy because God comes there. Come on, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So once this is known, that knowledge demands from everybody who walks in here the removal of things that you know in your life that are dirty. It demands that. You don't need the preacher to preach that. Because God is here, it demands the removal of things from our life that we know are unholy and unrighteous. Think about this. Moses is captured by a bush that burns. He takes steps toward the bush that is burning. And immediately, God tells him, remove your shoes, Moses. The ground is holy. The ground is holy? It's the same ground he'd been walking on for years. No different right here, this dirt right here, than the dirt a mile away. It's made of the same stuff. It's dirty. But God said, no, Moses, remove your shoes. In essence, I want nothing from the places you have walked before. On the ground where I'm speaking with you. 
I want none of the dirt from your home. I want none of the dirt from your 40 years of wandering. I want none of the dirt from the arenas of your sinful disobedience. No, Moses, remove your shoes. I am shocked at the amount of people who feel they're going to walk into heaven with their shoes on. Moses couldn't stand in front of a bush in the desert with his shoes on. But there are those that will be able to keep their shoes on that carried them into adultery, carried them into fornication, carried them into all manner of uncleanness, They'll be able to keep their shoes on that carried them into bars and clubs and night night scenes. They'll be able to walk into heaven with their funky bad attitudes and divisive spirits. And God's not going to look at them and say, hey, you need to take that off. You need to remove those shoes. You're not going to walk up in here with that on. Hello, somebody. He is holy. How many agree? He is holy. We just sang it. He is holy. He is holy. And when the man or the woman captures this revelation that he is holy, his holiness then demands a response from us. And it is absolutely natural. We begin to remove things from our lives. No one told me, stop smoking. I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. Do you know how many that is? Forty. I curse like a witch. Nobody told me stop smoking. Nobody told me stop drinking. Nobody told me you better stop speaking like that. Nobody said none of that. I got saved. Holiness walked in. And when God walked in this dirty desert of a man's life, something happened to this man. And all of a sudden, I felt inside of me, man, I can't speak like I used to speak. I'm smoking and I'm feeling bad for smoking. Come on, who feels bad when you're a sinner? I'm just smoking and God's dealing with me. I drink and now I'm feeling bad for drinking. Why? Because God stepped in the mundane experience of a punk kid's life. And rearrange the furniture. And all of a sudden, the funky junk in my life that won't go with what God wants to do has to get changed. Why? Because God takes residence here. Folks, I'm telling you tonight, I had a personal encounter with the living God. And that living God in that relationship immediately began to tell me, put that away. Stop that. Remove this. This is a measure of a man's maturity. If it always has to get preached for you to respond, if, if the preacher always has, well, I know, I know, and we got to kind of dance around everything because we're trying not to offend everybody, something's wrong with you. Hello, somebody. At some point, we have to have the ability to allow God to deal with us. We walk in and God is here. And all of a sudden, the uncleanness of our heart must be confessed before God. Not before some man, but before God. And we lay it down and all of a sudden, things shift. 
It's a measure of your maturity right there. A sign of the change of a person's life is they're not the same. Not that you make this up. Well, I'm just going to stop myself. I know I got to stop. No, no, no. It's not about you just stopping because you think you know. It's because you have a revelation of how holy God is and how unholy you are. Woe is me. And God begins to speak to you. Stop this. What's wrong with you? Fix that attitude. That is called the removal of the shoe. And folks, I'm telling you, you need to highlight these moments where we have met with God like this in the daily chores of life. Because these moments change us. It's not necessarily the preaching of the preacher's sermon. It's your response when God comes upon you. It's your response when God steps into your experience and all of a sudden you're examining. Listen, you're looking at yourself. It could be in your car. It could be on your job. It could be in your home. It could be anywhere else. Don't have to necessarily be here, but God comes upon you. And then you are arrested by it. And then you respond. And then next time you come together, people begin to realize you're different. Moses, remove your shoes. But you know what people say today? Some of y'all probably say it. Why God remove my shoes? Trust me, if it was me, I'd like you to keep your shoes on because feet are ugly. Hello, and they usually stink. <laughs> I know you paint your toenails and everything else, but listen, them Vietnamese people who are painting your toenails still like, mm, they ugly. <laughs> feet are ugly. <laughs> Why I got to remove my shoes? I don't need to remove my shoes to serve God. The Bible says where two or three are gathered. Mm -hmm. Don't be judging me because I got boots on, right? And by their life with shoes on, they trample, trample, excuse me, upon the ground that God said is holy. Moses, remove your shoes. Now, why don't people remove their shoes? Two reasons. There's a, a litany of them, but I've dwindled it down to two that I want to talk about tonight. Number one is pride. Pride. Can y'all say pride? Mm-hmm. Some of us can. Removing of the shoe is a position of humility before the Lord. That's what it is. Slaves often remove their shoes before they entered the household in the presence of their master. They take off their shoes and they walk gingerly into. Listen, pride resists being slave-like. Absalom stole the kingdom. He stole the hearts of the people and King David, his father, Finds this out and all of a sudden the hearts of the people have shifted from David. David's heart is breaking over this. This is the city he loves, the city he died, the city he's established. This is the one he is reigning over, but he is fleeing this city. And as he's leaving this city, listen to what how it goes. Second Samuel fifteen thirty. it says these words. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and he wept as he went up and he had his head covered and he went barefoot. The king removed his shoes. 
It's a sign of humility. And you know the story. Shimei is cursing and throwing rocks. Let him curse. Who knows? God, God. It's a sign of humility. This is a sign of reverence. Moses, remove your shoes. And we get the immediate picture that he immediately removes his shoes. And you say, how do you get that picture? Because there's no pause in the conversation. I have children. And if I told my child, I said, listen, go clean your room. And three hours later, they want some ice cream or something like that. And I go look in their room isn't clean. I'm like, did you clean your room? Don't talk to me again until you get your room clean. Is anybody with me? We're not going to have nothing else to say until you do what I say. You with me? Now, where do we get that from? Well, my mama, where do we get that from? God's that way. God will stop speaking to the man or the woman that won't reverence his, her, his character, his person. He'll stop speaking to you. Oh God, oh God, he come, oh some die, but you're living evil. You're living unholy. You're doing unrighteous. No, you'll fabricate things and say it's God, but God doesn't speak to that person. Prove me wrong, if you will. God will go silent on you. Ask, ask Saul. If you won't reverence God's character, he has no business speaking with you. Leonard Ravenhill said it best. He said the most difficult page in the entire Bible is the white page between Malachi and Matthew. He said because that white page represents 400 years where God went silent on them and said I'm not speaking to you anymore. Jesus said why do you call me Lord and you do not do what I say? Well, God is speaking to me. I, I wearied myself. Folks, I pastored in the South. And in the South, everyone and their mama said, God done spoke to me. God done spoke to me. <laughs> Foolishness. Saying all that with a cigarette hanging out their mouth. God done spoke to me. Really? What did he say? Uh, not marble. You need Newports. <laughs> God is speaking to me, but they have never removed their shoes. How can this be? Folks, I'm telling you, God is not schizophrenic. He's not going to say something to you different than he's saying to me. He's going to be very honorable to his word. How can it be? Jameson Fawcett Brown writes, the removal of the shoe is a confession of personal defilement and conscious unworthiness to stand in the presence of unspotted holiness. That we are conscious of who we are. It's Paul, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And then God comes in. How in the world can you stand there and act like you have your shoes on and you ain't got nothing to talk to? That's amazing to me. God's in the house and people will act like God's not there. How can that be? One man said, pulling off the shoe, therefore is an emblem of laying aside the pollutions contracted by walking in the way of sin. Let those who name the name of Jesus depart from iniquity. To depart from, you have to recognize that you walked in 
that you, 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 you've done something. To depart from the iniquity, you have to admit you walked into it. Does anyone know what iniquity is? We kind of get all this mixy, don't we? We get it all messy, these doctrinal kind of words and stuff. Transgression is you and I doing something we shouldn't do, violating the law. It's like you and I, transgression would be you and I stepping in poop. Darn, I shouldn't have done that. Iniquity is instead of repenting and washing your shoe, you just keep walking. And now you carry that poop everywhere you've been. That's iniquity. It's in your relationships. It's in your home. It's on your children. It's on your carpet. That stinky poop is everywhere. That's iniquity. That ought to help you. To depart from, you have to remember. You walked in. Pride resists doing this. That's why people sit there in the church in a bit. I had a sister hum through my sermon. Everything was good until I turned that sermon on wives. And she's like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. folks, I always tell folks, go ahead and get mad. I'll preach better. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I'm serious. People get mad. I preach a whole lot better. You don't like how I'm preaching. Just let me find the pig. Let me step on him. You squeal a little bit and I will preach and you will love it. Second reason. First is pride. The second is comfort. Why don't people remove their shoe? Comfort. Shoes are made to make the path comfortable. They shield us from the pain in the road. There are some topics that we can immediately preach on that make us very uncomfortable. Can we be honest? Because we know we can be doing more and be better. We can talk about prayer. I don't care who you are. How long you been saying, well, I walked off the boat with Noah. Well, then you should be the greatest prayer warrior among us. But we all know we can pray more. We can talk about fasting. Well, I just fasted last week, but you know it's been years, so you can fast again. And you know we need this. We can talk about giving. How many know we can always give more? Love, care, finance. We can talk about submission. Not just wives, like, eh, wives submit. No, how about you, sir? We can talk about submission. Makes us uncomfortable. How about Christ likeness? That we are to reflect Christ. It makes us uncomfortable because we know we can be better. We are arrested with our lack and it makes us feel uncomfortable. The thought of holiness makes us uncomfortable. I'm telling you folks, people would rather be comfortable than holy. Isaiah was undone in the presence of God. Why? Because his unholiness was exposed in the presence of a holy God. And because of that, he was very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. That's where the song comes from. Woe is me. I am undone. I am unclean. My lips, I am unclean. Moses, remove your shoes. But, 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 but the ground, it's going to be very uncomfortable. 
It'll be very harsh upon an extremely sensitive arena of my life. The sole of my feet. You know, the sole of your feet. This is where gravity now is going to play a major role in how you walk in life. Remove your shoe. You're going to have problems with gravity and everything else. See, shoes remind us of our own will. They remind us, we put them on and it reminds us that we can just run out and do what we want to do, how we want to do it. We ain't got to think about it, but remove your shoes. You used to just run out, but remove them shoes. It's like, you with me? You can't just go running out no more. There's junk out there that you, you never felt before, but now with that shoe off, guess what? You're going to feel it and it's going to hurt. And all of life, crash, oh, crash, oh. Now you got to think. God help your people to think. Now you got to think before you just go running out or running your mouth and running off and doing, no, 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 no. Shoes are off, homie. The devil likes throwing glass out there. And you just, now you got to stop and think about this. You ain't going to just rush out like you used to. You have to consider where you're putting your foot. You have to think about this for a moment. Is this good? Is everything out there okay? Why? Because this is a tender arena. Ephesians 5.15. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You have to trust God. You have to permit God to touch some sensitive, tender areas of your life. You will have to allow him to, to teach you how to walk. Well, I know how to walk. I've been walking for 50 years. Well, yeah, remove your shoes and watch how you walk now. Paul been walking for a long time, but man, he all of a sudden, his pride was knocked him off his horse. God met with him and now he has to have an unknown man lead him by the hand. Hello, somebody. You ain't going to be able to walk like you used to. You're going to have to trust God. That is not comfortable. It's not comfortable. You're going to have to trust God in some tender arenas. Moses, remove your shoes. Let me close with a life without shoes briefly. First Peter 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Did y'all hear that? In all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. That we say, he lives here. God lives in me. Then our lives should follow the same pattern as that desert floor. Because how can dirt in the desert be more holy and sacred than you? How can God say this ground that he's standing on is holy, but your life? God tells Moses, remove your shoes because that ground in the desert is holy. How much more would he say that to you, sir, ma'am? Second Corinthians 6, 16 for year, the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will 
dwell in them and walk in them. You are the temple of the living God. We're not talking about buildings and such any longer. We're talking about you. And Paul said, beloved, this is the hope of glory. It is Christ in you, in me. That we used to be as base as the, and commonplace as the desert floor. But there is a time where the bush was burning in our life and we turned aside the sea and God called a man or a woman. We met with Jesus and brother and sister at that moment we met with God. God changed everything like he did with Moses and as unholy as our ground ever was before. As unholy as my life ever was before. As unholy as your life ever was before. It became holy the moment we turned aside and responded to his call. That moment it became holy. Sanctified, set apart. But then God wastes no time. The first conversation ever recorded that God has with Moses. For all you theological, you know, brainiacs. This would be the law first mentioned, if you would, concerning his relationship with Moses. Here he is. He's going to have this first count. You can go all the way back. You ain't going to find a conversation he had with Moses. But here it is. And what does he say? He wastes no time. Moses, Moses, Moses responds. Here I am. And God says, oh, well, you know, it's going to take six months. You know, just sit down and sit in the style for a little while. No, 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 no. He didn't go through the kindergarten process. He said, no, remove your shoes, Moses. And the word of God teaches that there is a generation that treats the sacred with contempt. Not truly believe we're there. A time where we're walking all over sacred things and don't have any care at all. Are you walking on the sacred tonight with your shoes on? Are you walking on the sacred? You know, the soil at the foot of the cross soaked up the precious blood that flowed from Emmanuel's veins. That body that was broken for humanity. And even right there at the foot of the cross, the centurion, a Roman, unsaved, unknowing of the scriptures. Even there, he had to remove his shoes, if you would, and begin that word, that confession. What have we done? Right there. Yet in the typical church in the United States, everything there is to make life cozy and comfy. No conviction, no challenge to live clean, no demand for righteousness if you're going to be involved in things, no judgment on sin. I told my church years ago, I said, a carnal person's dream is to swoop into a church that doesn't judge sin. Talent. Oh, you got talent? Next thing you know, they're displayed on the, on the stage. They have no character. That's why I said most of my preaching is off the character, as is tonight. 
I had to boot my son out of my church years ago. A week later, he's playing in another church. <laughs> Not in our fellowship. Playing on the... Because he's gifted and talented. So they saw him. Put a, serious? Had a guy come to my church and I, I finish up. We're pioneering. We're probably about 40 people at this point in Raleigh. And uh, the church is growing really well. He comes in from some mega church in San Diego. Transferred. Had a really good job right down the street from the church. And, and he's in. And as he's there... He says to me, he comes maybe two services. We got some couples that have been coming out. God's helping them. And he says, brother, uh, I really feel that God is in this place. I said, thanks, man. Why don't you keep coming? And, you know, he says, yeah, well, I'm just thinking, you know, I, I can do some marriage classes and really help this church. I said, well, you know, that's, I appreciate that. He said, no, 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 I, I, I used to do them at my church back home. I said, yeah, we're, we're different here. We don't just do that. And he said, well, I'm just saying, you got couples. We can really help them. I can really do some, some classes. I'm, I'm gifting in this. And I, uh, no, we ain't going to do that. How about you pick up a toilet brush and you can help in the bathroom? And he got offended. No, listen to me. He got offended. He said, well, I, I, I got letters. I can show you. I'll, you know, this church, have you known Bishop so-and-so and Bishop so No. We don't bishops. We ain't title driven. And you're going to throw some bishop around like it's going to give me some, ooh, ho, oh, ha. No. And he said, well, well, I, I, you know, I could just go to another church and they'll probably just have me do it right away. And I said, let me tell you something, bro. Anybody who's just going to let you come in and, and sit and have conversation with their couples is a hireling and I'm not one of them. I'm responsible for these people. Well, you shouldn't say that. I am saying that because if they let you just come in, don't know who the heck you are, and all of a sudden you're teaching their folks. To him, it's just someone doing something. Okay, and he gets to go. He's just a hireling. He don't care about the flock because you could be something you shouldn't be, and you're trying to teach people. I don't know that. How about you stick around and let us get to know you, and we'll start you off with the toilet. And he got really upset, and he left. Obviously. Well, good. Go. All kinds of folks get caught up in the dragnet. Got to take time and throw them back in the water. Hello. Go swim around a little longer. Read your Bible. So the Bible, or excuse me, so months later, I'm working at a dental office. He's my patient. Honest to God. So there he is in the chair. Hey, pastor, guess what? And he tells me the name of this big church in town. He says, yeah, I left there and I'm two weeks later or so I'm teaching the marriage classes. I've been there. Oh, guess what? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, everything I told you about that pastor who I don't even know, I'm telling you it again. Hireling. Comes out later that that guy was uh, an adulterer. Hello, man. Come on, man. What a pervert. Get out of here. Serious? Just going to put him in ministry, right? Because talent gets displayed above character. Permit un, you know, unsurrendered, uncrucified men and women in ministry. Famous Christian artist recently, I was preaching in Utah, and one of the pastors said, watch this. Show me a video clip of a singer. I ain't saying his name. Sorry, Christian music. I'd rather listen to jazz. Trust me. I have zero tolerance for it. Tell me you love me. He already did, man. He died on the cross. How much more does he have to say to you anyways? So, <laughs> but tell me again. Okay, anyway, I, I digress. So, 
So he shows me this video clip of this famous Christian artist that everybody would know with his nails painted. Fingernails painted. And he's justifying, well, well, all you haters out there, you just need to leave. Serious? Sissy, get that stuff off your nails, man. Justifying it and demanding people to leave him alone. And hey, you don't understand the reasons behind it. I know the reason behind it. Anyways. Men don't paint their nails. Sissies do. But anyways, that's another sermon. These are they that have knowledge of the very text I'm reading from. They'll write music. They'll sing songs to it. Everything else. They say I'm serving. They say I'm loving. They say I'm worshiping. They say I'm trusting God. Yet Moses had no shoes on. Mm -hmm. You know, God's going to have to deal with these arenas of Moses' life that are tender. Failure. That caused him to run for 40 years. Loneliness. No friends. No family. Isolated. Unequally yoked. He married someone without the same convictions that he has. Compromised because of that marriage. He wouldn't circumcise his own boy. He's got, his wife has different convictions. Fear. Fear of facing Pharaoh again. That's the reason he ran away in the first place. But I'm going to tell you something about God. Even though he's going to have to deal with these arenas in Moses' life, before he ever even began to deal with them, he said, Moses, remove your shoe. God's not going to deal with him when he can't touch those tender areas. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. I'm not going to deal with you. And there's going to be people that are going to miss heaven by a half inch. Won't take your shoe off. Remove your shoes, Moses. Moses. You know, I wonder tonight, as I finish, if there would ever have been a Moses, a restoration for him at all, if he didn't remove his shoes. I'm going to show you something that's, that's tragic to me, because it's tragic probably for people that are in here. What if he decided to keep his shoes on? No, oh, I don't want to take my shoes off. Moses, remove your shoes. And gnats, too much dirt, rocks. I'm not going to walk by faith. No, I'm not going to do that. You know what? Some things wouldn't have changed. And you know one of the things that would not have changed, which is the tragic? That he did have a meeting with God. He did hear the voice of God. He did see the bush that burns. None of that would have changed. He'll still be able to say, well, I heard from God. Had a guy in my church in Clarksville. Every evangelist would come. Brother, God is going to use you greatly. And he would and he would talk to him and talk to him about these things. And every revival, same guy, same guy, same guy. This guy was a vex to my soul, y'all. Full of pride. And one day he had all the other brothers around. He's, yeah, 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 every revival, man. I just call his, man, God just kind of gives me the same word, man. It's just, it's a powerful, powerful word. And I walked up to him and said, God gives you the same word because you ain't done nothing with it yet. God don't like repeating himself. 
but you're making him repeat himself. Because you had nothing. You'd done nothing. He would, Moses would still be able to say, I heard from God. But you know what would have changed? For sure. The outcome. Can you imagine your Bible without a Moses in it? The outcome of that meeting would have changed. What about you tonight? What about you? Many have a genuine meeting with God. But you never change. Go to church, go to revivals, go to conferences, go to mission rallies, pioneer rallies, marriage seminars. You can, you can quote the greatest of the preachers in our fellowship, but never change. How can this be? Are we saying God never shows up? Could it be because we want to live our life with our shoes on? When God said, Moses, remove your shoes. I'm challenging you and I'm challenging myself tonight. Let's live our life with the thought that God lives here. Not just in the building, but God, you live here. And God, if you live here, I'm going to live barefoot for Jesus. I'm going to live my life without shoes. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Come on, bow your heads, close your eyes. God, I'm going to live without shoes. You're here tonight, you say, preacher, I've done wrong. I'm not living right. There's sin. Hey, if you guys on your ministry need to take a minute to pray, listen to me carefully. Take your minute to pray before you get on your, just please, don't just rush to your ministry. Take a moment, please. That's more important than anything else. Take a moment. Preacher, I'm not right with God. The Bible speaks in Luke 16 that there is a man who woke up in hell. That there's coming a day where all men, every woman, you know, time and eternity are going to collide. We're going to pass. But then we're going to stand before God and have to give an account of our life. Are you ready for that moment? The Winans back in the day had a profound song. It was so convicting, so moving. Tomorrow. Who promised you tomorrow? Better choose the Lord today. For tomorrow may be too late. They said a statement in that song. They said, tomorrow is not made for some. God, I need to get right. I need to repent. If that's you, can I pray with you? Raise your hand right now. Slip it up in the air, preacher. I need to repent. I need God to forgive me. Raise your hand. I'm a backslider. I'm not right with God. Very quickly, only appeal. Right there. Okay, very well. Holy ground. Holy ground. Not just because it's a church, but because God entered here. I'm trying to hold it together and worship. I'm ready to break down and weeping. God, God is present. His presence is here. And even now there's issues that are being surfaced in lives and 
The challenge is to not be filled with what God hates, pride, and resist this and stay the same. The challenge is to seize these moments so we can become the Moses of the relationships, the family, whoever that God would have you to be Moses for. These moments we rise, we say, God, I'm removing. Yes, Lord, God, my attitude, God, my unbelief, my worry, my doubt, my sin, my uncleanness, whatever. You know what, God, I'm lay, I'm taking it off. I'm willing. Father, forgive me. I'm asking you to stand all over this place. Come on, stand with me all over this assembly. Come on, come on, come on, stand. Honor God. I want you to get out of your seat. Find a place at this altar. Come on, it's open right now. Come on, come on. Come on, find a place. Kneel down before God. Be honest with God. Be honest with God. Find a place. Be honest with God. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. No negotiating right here. No negotiating right here. Be honest with God. Hallelujah. Be honest with God. Oh God, please. God, forgive me. God, forgive me for being full of pride. Forgive me, God, for being full of myself. Forgive me, God, for not recognizing the wonder of your presence and ignoring the demand to remove things from my life. Oh, that God, you would change me from glory to glory. Come on, talk to God. Hallelujah. And it's all in the train of his Mindsets, God. Oh, God, Ray, cut out our mind. 
angry, where the devil is maligning and marking them for eternal damnation. But God, you would call us. But God, you would call us like you called Moses. You would speak to us that God, we would lay things down and God, in those moments, God, you would change us. You would make us the Moses of a people, a generation, a city, a person, families, neighborhoods, society that is broken, leading them out, God. Deal with us, oh God. Stand with me at this altar. Lift your hands to the Lord. Sing it to the Lamb of God. You are holy. Sanda la mando, hi ara la 